Okay, so we're going through these uh, 12 things, 12 results of trusting in God. Guidance and direction for your life. Uh, greater potential for happiness and blessing. Uh, but, uh, and what we're looking at today, or now, is the third thing. And that is potential uh, prosperity. Uh, not only in the material sense, but also in the spiritual sense. And so on that, I've been talking about 12 principles in regards to prosperity or 12 principles in regards to wealth. What is it that the uh, book of Proverbs has to say as far as wealth is concerned? I've already covered the first four points. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Remember, wisdom has more value in life than wealth. Remember, righteous living pays bigger dividends than wealth. And then remember, fearing God is our true treasure in life. And that's what I ended up with last, last week. And if you notice that all four of these relate to honoring the Lord. All four, it's kind of like the Ten Commandments where the first four commandments uh, relate to, to the Lord. Now what we're going to look at is what relates to man's attitude in regards to those things that God has entrusted to us as far as our stewardship. So if you'll turn to Proverbs chapter 10... Uh, we'll go ahead and get started with this very first uh, principle in regards to um, our attitude as far as um, the things that we have or the stuff uh, that we accumulate. Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord, and we ask for your blessing upon this time. We look for wisdom and understanding and knowledge from your word. We know that we can find it there. So therefore, Lord, we ask that you would instruct us and help us to see these principles, Lord, and how they might apply. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom that's contained in your word. We pray, Father in heaven, for your grace and for your spirit to help us not only understand it, but also to live it. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, we read, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. So, uh, diligence, according to the book of Proverbs, diligence, according to the word of God, is the, is the right path uh, to prosperity. Now here's a novel idea, okay? A good healthy worth ethic will provide results. We don't really hear that so much nowadays, do we? In fact, we kind of hear the opposite. That's kind of the opposite of what's going on. Uh, tragically, when there are no consequences for a poor work ethic, and you have a society where they don't reward a good work ethic that just kind of takes the motivation out of everything, doesn't it? You kind of like, why even bother? Why even bother? Uh, one of the signs of decline in a culture is the loss of this work ethic that the Bible upholds. It's the loss of this work ethic and that the society uh, that the people live in, uh, they live more for pleasure than actually uh, work. And they also want to live off of the dole of the government. They want to live off the government. 
So they want to live a life of leisure and they want everything handed to them. And in every society that that has happened, that society has, has fallen. That society has, has fallen. Uh, the society in decline will find its people spending more money, more treasure, more time on entertaining themselves, on being at leisure, uh, rather than having people who are willing to go out there and work and earn their way. Uh, that, that's always a bad sign for any society. Uh, what happens is that the burden uh, falls upon a small minority uh, to support the indolent majority, the, the lazy majority of people. Uh, they have an a, a, uh, entitlement mentality. And whenever an entitlement mentality set, settles into a, a society, that's usually an indication of the, of the decay of that society. It just, it just can't support itself. It just can't support itself. So I did a little uh, research, and uh, in 2019, the entertainment industry, and I'm talking about Hollywood, uh, the entertainment industry uh, made $101 billion. That's a ton of money. Uh, during the pandemic, they grossed $81 billion, so they lost a little bit of money, which I thought, that's kind of weird, but then when you think about, well, people weren't allowed to go to theaters and things like that, you know, that, that makes sense. But here, uh, here lately, they've made a rebound, so now they're back up to $98 billion. So people are paying $98 billion to be entertained. By, and that's just Hollywood. That's just Hollywood. Um, the subscriptions for streaming services such as Netflix and Hulu, and I don't know all the others out there. The population of our country is 331,449,281 people. We are, they are just shy of the entire population of the United States subscribing to these to these uh, Netflixes and Hulus. We've, got, we've almost got every person in the United States subscribed to some sort of streaming for entertainment, for entertainment. The average American, according to this one study, spends 11 hour, almost 12 hours a day watching television. 12 hours a day on smartphones, 12 hours a day on radio or electronic games or streaming outlets. So 12 hours a day is spent in viewing something. If you, if you go anywhere, what is it you always see? You see people doing this, right? They're always doing this. Um, one study showed, and I don't know what Gen X and Gen Z is, I don't know what all that is. But Gen Z, which I think is the latest, they spend nine hours a day in front of their phone. In front of their phone, nine hours a day. That's a lot of cell phone time or smartphone time. Something else that this study brought out, it can have an adverse health effect from weight gain, poor sleep, uh, even susceptibility to certain diseases, mental diseases, the increase in screen time goes hand in hand with uh, a sedentary behavior. In other words, you don't want to get up off the couch and do something. You don't want to go outside. That leads to poor physical health, uh, mental well-being. Uh, has a negative effect on your sleep for young people, for, for even for older people. And it even affects your, your mental 
um, your mental health and how you process information, how you think, how, what, your mood, your attitude. Okay, so even though technology is very, very beneficial in many things, but at the same time, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It is. It's kind of a double-edged sword. That's entertainment. And then you have uh, folks who um, live off the dole of the government. Now, in the United States, we've got six major welfare programs. And I'm going to say right off the bat, I am not opposed to helping people. I'm not opposed to helping people. I'm not opposed because sometimes people need help. They just do. They just need help. And I think we, if we have it in our power to do so, uh, we should help. There's unemployment insurance. There's workers' compensation, which I have benefited from when I was injured on the job. You know, So there are good programs out there. And it's not so much the programs, is it? It's not so much the programs that's the problem. One of the statistics that I came up was that approximately 69, 69 million people have received some form of governmental aid to welfare programs for 2022. That's 21% of our population. 21% of our population. Um, again, I'm not going to get into the red state versus blue state. I'm not going to get into any of that stuff. Uh, these programs are intended to aid people who need the help, which I do support. If, you know, if, if they need help, let's help them if we can. Um, and, um, but um, what is one of the big issues of these kind of programs? Well, we know that there are folks who take advantage of these things able-bodied people that take advantage of these things. And uh, a lot of the rhetoric that I hear, I think is a lot of it is, again, I'm not, I don't want to be political, but a lot of the rhetoric, rhetoric I hear is, is, is coming from just plain ignorance. They don't know all the stories, they don't know all the ins and outs. Uh, sometimes you get a politician who will grandstand on these things just to be elected. Sometimes you'll get a talking head on the radio or on the television, you know, whatever. Um, but the thing is, these systems are there to help people not to be take, taken advantage of. With that said, let me give you a little example. And I, if I step on anybody's toes, uh, well, that's not surprising. I do it all the time. <laughs> but this is just an interesting little thing that I, that I found. Uh, and, and I think the reason why I went this way is because of our open borders now that we have and all the issues that, that's coming around with that. And I think uh, what happens sometimes is uh, we've got legal immigrants and we've got illegal immigrants. And I think sometimes with all the ignorant rhetoric that's going on, uh, we sometimes uh, can't see the forest for the trees. Okay? Now, who I am talking about is not so much the illegal immigrants. What I'm talking about are the legal immigrants. And unfortunately, uh, we have a tendency to lump everybody in the same boat. And that's not always a wise thing to do. But this is, this is a statistic about um, legal immigrants who come into this country in the right way. Low-income immigrants according to this study, uh, uses public benefits at a lower rate than low-income native-born citizens. You understand what that's saying? 
That means the folks that are coming in legally from other countries um, don't really go to these welfare systems as a citizen born in this country does. All right, Adult low-income legal in immigrants use Medicaid at a lower rate, 20% versus 25% than native-born citizens. Uh, their children are less likely to use uh, SNAP or CHIP, which you know helps with their education or with their food. 49% uh, for the legal immigrants versus 65% of the native-born American citizens. Um, even when immigrants are qualified to enroll in these programs, you know, after they become a citizen and so forth and so on, cost per person is even lower than a native-born citizen in the United States. Uh, in fact, as one example with Medicaid, low-income immigrant adults cost 42% less than native-born citizens. 42% less. Now, to me that's an interesting statistic because I think, and this is my opinion, what I'm thinking is, is these legal immigrants who come into this nation do not come into this nation with this sense of entitlement. Alright? They come into this nation knowing that in this nation they have this liberty and this freedom and this ability, right, to pursue what we take advantage of, that American dream. And so what they bring into this nation is this strong work ethic that one time this nation was noted for. At one time this nation was noted for. Back in the day, there would be leaders and kings and so forth come and visit our nation and they would see the, in the industry and they would see the work ethic and they would see the drive of the American people, which were made up of what? Legal immigrants. But we have lost that work ethic in this nation. And so these legal immigrants are coming in with what was once a hallmark of this nation. They're now coming in with this work ethic. And therefore they're not being a strain on the system as the native-born American is. That's just facts. That's just facts. So one could make the argument that we as a nation have become lazy due to this sense of entitlement, due to this sense of, for some reason we think that this country owes us something. Now, that may not include us in this room. Okay, I'm just talking about the general attitude of the nation. I'm talking about the general attitude the general attitude of the nation is like spoiled rich kids living on daddy's dime and all the while vilifying the way daddy made his money. You see, I think there's a generation that does not appreciate the hard work and the sacrifice of the previous generations that made this nation what it is. That made this nation for what it is. The very value that the Bible upholds, diligence, work ethic, 
is the very thing is the very thing that today is being vilified. The very thing that made one of the very things that made this nation great, um, they're sweeping under the carpet. Why is that? Because they have abandoned the Word of God. They've abandoned the Word of God. They've turned their backs on the Bible. So what was once a ethic because of biblical teaching now is being vilified. Now is being vilified. Why do you think socialism is starting to gain ground? It's this idea that the government is going to do everything for me. Right? Right? See, we've lost that We've lost that biblical value. We've lost that biblical value. Or losing it. Let me, let me be optimistic. We're losing it. Doesn't mean we can't get it back. But we are losing it. Uh, you ever heard uh, someone say, doesn't the Bible say that God helps those that help themselves? You ever heard that? A few? Well, that's not exactly the way the Bible words it. But that is what the Bible teaches. The Bible encourages work ethic. The Bible encourages labor. The Bible discourages being a, a sluggard, is what they call it, or being lazy. You know, the Bible doesn't uphold laziness. It upholds people who are, who are laboring and working. Uh, and in spite of the overstrained system that we live in, and, and sometimes it breaks down, the best path is diligence, is a work ethic, is a work ethic. A strong work ethic is the right way to go, and it should be encouraged. It should be encouraged on the job site. It should be encouraged. Where do you think it should start? Where do you think we should start encouraging a strong work ethic? Where do you think we should start? Okay, I'm hearing a lot of things. Our kids. our kids. Yeah, our sons are in the home. Our wives. <laughs> our wives. <laughs> I'm going to let you handle that. Oh, no. Yeah, in the home. Because they're not going to get it in the school. Yeah, in the home. That's where it needs to start. In the home. This diligence is God's approved way to go. It's God's approved way to go. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, when uh, the writer of Proverbs, when he was speaking to his son, of course we know the, pro uh, the writer of Proverbs is Solomon. And we think that the son that he's talking to is Rehoboam. Yeah. And so... Um, he writes here, he gives his son an example from the insect world. Proverbs 6, starting in verse 6 to verse 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Isn't that interesting that Solomon knew that the ant was a, was a she rather than a he? Did you guys know that, that the majority of the ants that you see are, are, are females or are hers? You didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. Most of, most of those ants, about 99.9% .9 of them are female. 
Uh, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide oversee or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth in thy want as an armed man. So the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he was a great observer of the natural world. I mean, uh, that's the thing that's said of him in 1 Kings 4.33. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things, ants and of fishes. So Solomon was a great observer of nature and he learned a lot from observing nature. Okay, he learned a lot. And here in Proverbs 6, we see his observation of the industrious ant. And Solomon used this little tiny creature, this little ant, as a rebuke to who? A sluggard, a lazy person. He says, hey you, you lazy person, go to the ant and observe the ant. And what are we to learn from the ant? What are we to learn from the ant? Well, the first thing that we see here in verse 7 is that the ant is self-motivated. The ant is self-motivated, uh, which having no guide or overseer or ruler. The queen doesn't tell the ant what to do. The ant knows what it needs to do. It's self-motivated. It's self-motivated. <laughs> That's one of the things that we, we see lacking in this country today. We don't see a lot of self-motivation. We don't see a lot of these go-getters anymore. The best kind of motivation comes from the inside. You know, I, when I used to work for a living, right, and I was um, managing a, a line, a packaging line, you had those who were self-motivated, and then there were always those you always had to keep prodding, keep encouraging, keep, you know, for them to do their job. Now, which would you rather have on your crew? Someone who's self-motivated, knows what they need to do and do it, or somebody you've got to be on all the time? Right? To have a heart for the work... Uh, to succeed, to become, to become self-sufficient at one time was, was a value that was upheld in this nation. Not so much anymore, I don't think. Not so much anymore. At one time, it was shameful for a man or a woman to be lazy. Now it's excused. Now it's expected. Now it's even encouraged. Now, am I wrong or right? Of course, the best inner motivation comes from having a right relationship with the Lord. That's where the best inner motivation comes from. You know this is what God wants you to do. And you want to please God. So that's the best kind of inner motivation is you want to please God. Verse 8, the ant has a meaningful purpose. Provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. She has a meaningful purpose. There's, there's purpose behind the heart of the motivated ant. Right? They know winter's coming. So we better prepare. We better get ready. There's purpose behind the heart of the motive. Do you have purpose in your life that gives you the motivation? 
Or is your purpose to be the best video game player on the planet? Well, good luck with that. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The greatest purpose in life is to live a life pleasing to God. That's a good purpose. You know, without purpose, one's life is empty. It really is. What's the use of living without purpose? Without purpose, one's life is empty, and in the end, you're going to discover too late, you know what, I just wasted my whole life. And there's a lot of people who get to that place and realize at the end of their life, what a waste. What a waste. That's why we need to discover that our true purpose in life is to honor the Lord, is to fear God, is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. That's, that's the main purpose in life. The main purpose in life. And if you've got that purpose in life, then you've got meaning. You've got meaning. In verse 9, we see two things. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? One, I'm sorry, yeah, verse 8 is what I meant. We see two things about the ant here. The ant is goal-oriented. The ant is goal-oriented. It's pressing toward the mark. Just like Paul tells us in Philippians, we need to press toward the mark to the high calling in Christ Jesus. It has a goal. It has a goal. I, I can remember on my job, one of the things that was required of me, you have to have a goal for accomplishing whatever the task is. There's got to be a goal. Something, something you're aiming for. That's what gives you purpose. That's what motivates you. The ant has a goal. It's goal-oriented. The second thing is that the ant has priorities in life. I better get this grain in. I better get these little dead bugs in. <laughs> right? Because winter is coming. I need to provide for the colony. There's, there's, there, is a, there is a priority with the ant. Somehow God has given the ant the comprehension of the importance of what it is doing. Do you have a sense of importance of what it is you're living, what it is you're doing, what it is you're all about? Is there that, is there that comprehension of how important that is? Mom, do you realize how important it is for you to raise your kids and be with your kids and support your kids? Don't let this world take, take your role as a mom and vilify it and say, no, no, you shouldn't be a mom. You should be out there making a name for yourself. You ought, you ought to be out there making a career for yourself. Being a mom is the lowest thing on 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 the earth. Don't let anybody tell you that. And dads, you know how important it is for you to be a spiritual leader in your house? Don't let anybody cheat you out of that. It's very important that the father sets the, sets the example, the moral, ethical, spiritual example in their house. Don't let anybody tell you that that's not important. Because it is. It's probably the most important thing you're ever going to do as a father is to set the spiritual and ethical tone in your family. Can your kids look to you and say, my dad is a godly man. Do we see that on television today? Do you see how dads are pictured in television today? Some doofus. Some Homer Simpson. 
Don't be that. Don't allow them to pigeonhole you in that, in that, in that regard. So have priorities. Have priorities. To have the right objectives due to the expediency of the times. I'm telling you guys, I personally believe this, that the, the, the rapture of the church is just around the corner. I don't know how much time we have left. We ought to be careful not to waste it. You know, as we learn to die to self in Christ and we learn to live for others for Christ's sake, like the ant, we're going to reap a great harvest. I mean, the ant, yeah, it's bringing in all the grain and all the stuff that it needs for the survival of the colony. What about the survival of your family? What about the survival of your friends? What about the survival of your co-workers? What about the, even the survival of your enemies? Are you sharing Jesus Christ with them? Are you gathering in a harvest? Like the ant. Proverbs 10.5 He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causes shame. Anybody ever see that movie, Schindler's List? You remember the scene in Schindler's List when uh, the people were trying to get Schindler into the car and get him to safety because the Russian army was soon going to overwhelm the region that they were in? And they were telling Schindler, get in the car, get away before the Russians come. And I, this, this scene just haunts me. Schindler was remorse because he didn't save more Jews from destruction. He had a gold ring. He said, I could, have, I could have sold this ring and saved one more life. I could have sold this car and saved five more lives. Don't let that be you in the end when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema seat. Now is the time to get involved in the harvest. Now is the time to get involved in the harvest. You realize that all these points about the ant, you'd pay big bucks to go to some self-motivated guru to, get, to tell you the very same thing. Save your money, it's in the book. It's in the book. Turn to Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 10.4, what does it say? Anybody? You become a poor that dealeth with a slack hand. The hand of the diligent. Diligent people, in contrast to lazy and idle people, they'll, they'll often fare better than those who are lazy. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be filthy rich, but they're going to fare better. They're going to do better in life. They're going to do better in life, not only with stuff, and it's not always about stuff, but they're going to do better in life mentally, physically, health-wise, and even self-esteem. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having healthy self-esteem. Proverbs 14.23, In all labor there is profit. But the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. I raise my hand. I am the world's greatest procrastinator. 
I talk about a lot of things I need to do around the house. <laughs> and guess what? I'm still talking about all the things I need to do around the house. Right? A lot of people do a lot of talking about, boy, I'm going to do this, and boy, I'm going to do that, and they never do it. They never do it. Hard work brings a profit. Mere talking accomplishes nothing. Nothing. <clears throat> Proverbs 21.5 the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. Acquiring stuff, acquiring wealth, takes planning, doesn't it? It takes planning. Um, very, very rarely. Will you go into Quick Trip and buy a lottery ticket and win millions? <laughs> Not that I do that or encourage that. But acquiring wealth takes planning, budget, right? Working off a budget is smart, right? You've got to save for a rainy day. You guys know this, right? It's stuff that we've heard from childhood. Um, watch that credit card. Watch that credit card. These are planning, things, simple planning. Proverbs 21:17: He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall be, not be rich in the end. People who cannot control their spending habits end up in trouble. Right? I knew a man on my job site, he would max out a credit card, get another one, transfer that debt to the new credit card, max that credit card out, get a new credit card, transfer that debt to that, and, and it was like domino, he was setting up dominoes. By the time he was done and the, and, and, and the chickens came home to roost, he had over $85,000 in credit card debt. What is it now? 21% interest on that stuff now? That man's enslaved to that credit card debt for the rest of his life. Unless he claims bankruptcy. Something else, and I know you guys have heard this, those who, who work for what they have appreciate it, right? Don't you appreciate it? You appreciate it. Proverbs 12, 27, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. There is a sense of satisfaction from a job well done. There is a sense of, of, of self, in a good sense, a sense of, of self-pride, if you will, of saving up your money and then purchasing something with your own money that you've earned. <coughs> am I wrong? Am I, am I blowing smoke here? But you don't see that in, in, in many people today. 
You don't see that anymore. You don't see that appreciation anymore. In fact, when something is handed to some of these people, I gotta be careful. <laughs> All you have to do is go downtown Kansas City. The city will invest money into something really nice. And then it doesn't take what? Three weeks, if that, somebody comes along with a can of spray paint and tags it. See what I'm saying? They just don't appreciate it. And I'm not targeting anybody specifically, but that's just the attitude. That's just the attitude. I mean, uh, I gotta stop, I'm gonna get on a soapbox. <laughs> Those who exercise a strong worth ethic uh, will be respected among their peers. They'll be respected among their peers. Proverbs 22, 29. Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. Again, this principle can be, you know, we live in a corrupt world. We just do. We live in a corrupt world. We live in a, in a world uh, that gets everything upside down. But a person who is honest and diligent and hardworking, in the end, that's the person that people truly admire. That's the person that they look to uh, in respect, in, in esteem, you know? And in the end, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that we want to hear him say to us? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? So you may not get the honor in this life for your labors. I guarantee you, you will in the next. You will in the next. Again, I may be stepping on toes. But I believe there's going to be some Christians that when that day comes and we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'll probably be one of them. <laughs> but I think there's going to be a lot of Christians who's, who's going to be kind of surprised. Kind of surprised when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Instead of being diligent in the Lord's business here on earth, uh, they were really diligent about their own business, diligent about what was important to them, and they may prosper in the here and now under the sun, but when they arrive in glory and they stand face to face with their Savior and their Lord, First uh, Corinthians three, uh, chapter three tells me there's there's going to be some standing there with nothing, wood, hay, and stubble. Now they'll be saved, but they'll have nothing. Nothing to offer back to the Lord. I don't want to be that person. Do you want to be that person? I don't want to be that person. They settle for the bowl of pottage here on earth. What really comes home for me is what it says about the diligent in Proverbs 27, 23. He says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look, and look well to thy herds, 
for riches are not forever and doth the crown endure to every generation. I guess to put it all in perspective is this. What kind of inheritance are we leaving behind for our families, for our friends? You know, something that they can pass on. Are we leaving our posterity with just a bunch of stuff? You know, that's one of the things I've been talking about with my wife. You know, we've got a lot of stuff in the home. And I can, I can remember being a part of folks who pass away. Moms or dads passing away. And what's, what's left up to the kids to do? What are we going to do with all of their stuff? Right? With all of their stuff. I'm always, at, you know, talking to my wife. You know, we need to get rid of some of our stuff. We need to either give it away. We, we need to do something. We don't want to burden our children with all of this stuff. That's just me. Because I've seen it in families. I've seen families wrestle and bicker and argue over stuff. Stuff. I don't want to leave just stuff. <laughs> you know? I don't want to leave just stuff. What I do want to leave behind is a good godly testimony. What I do want to leave behind is maybe I've influenced them to be that much more in love with God. To be that much more faithful. To be that much more willing to sacrifice for others for the sake of Christ. And then have them pass that on to their children. That'd be pretty cool to have a legacy like that, wouldn't it? That'd be pretty cool. I mean, what does it gain a man or a woman if they gain the whole world by their diligent efforts, but yet lose their families, lose their wives, lose their children to stuff? That's not a very good 401k. A better 401k is to leave behind a faithful testimony, living a godly life. Okay, am I wrong? Am I all wet in that? Let me know if I am. Another matter as far as this diligence is concerned. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Let me introduce you to the most diligent person that's ever lived. The most diligent person that's ever lived. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. And it reads, And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. 
And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all of, Gal all of Galilee and cast out devils. Who is that talking about? Jesus, Jesus Christ. You know, each of the four Gospels highlight a key aspect of our, of our Savior and our Lord. In Matthew's Gospel, he's the king. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus is portrayed as the ideal man. In John's Gospel, it portrays him as God in the flesh. Mark's Gospel portrays him as the servant of Jehovah. Zechariah 3.8 says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, for behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prophetic uh, um, uh, prophecy on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you read through Mark's gospel, you won't, you won't read highlighted the great discourses like out of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, you won't read the compassion of the ideal man that you have in Luke. And you won't read the, the declarations of Christ's uh, equality with the Father and his glory with the Father. You won't, like you would in John. Uh, but what you will read in Mark's Gospel is a tireless servant who is there to fulfill the mission for which he was sent. And that was to save you and me. That's what you read. A tireless servant. A tireless servant. Diligent about his father's business. If we are wanting to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, as Romans 8.28 talks about, then I think diligence is a part of that, don't you think? Diligence should be a part of that. It could be that this nation has gone the wrong way is because we have forsaken our very foundation. Irregardless of the folks who want to rewrite our history, this nation was founded upon Christian biblical principles. And we are forsaking those very principles that made this nation great. We just are. We just are. Uh, let's see here. Do I have time to get into this one? Sherry, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I'm going to have to stop right there. I know we're... No, I'm going to go ahead and go on. Principle number six. <laughs> Principle number six. I've got 15 minutes. I can go fast. Recognize the limitations of wealth. Recognize the limitations of wealth. Um, there's a lot that money can do. There is. Whether evil or good, money can be used to accomplish much. But we need to understand that there's limitations to wealth. Uh, there's uh, limitations to wealth. Uh, turn to Exodus 8.8. Exodus 8.8. 8. Exodus 8, 8. This is one of the limitations that, uh, that 
that is imposed upon wealth. Uh, money, no amount of money is going to be able to help you in this, in this, in this area. Exodus 8.8. 8. And if anybody gets to Exodus 8.8, 8, go ahead and read it. Say to the son Moses and Aaron, pray to the Lord no ex I'm sorry Ecclesiastes 8.8 8. you're absolutely correct Ecclesiastes 8.8 8. <laughs> I'm jumping ahead in my notes I'm sorry Ecclesiastes 8.8 8. that's alright <laughs> it's right after uh, Proverbs I'm, I'm two steps ahead of my notes. Ecclesiastes 8.8. 8, right? There you go. Okay. There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those who are given to Okay, that's more to my point. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, there's no amount of money that's going to deliver you from the day of death. No amount of money is going to deliver you from that day of death. 10% of all health care spending in the United States goes towards the end of life care. 10%. In 2018, Americans spent $3.65 trillion on health care. $365 billion of this money went for end-of-life care, hospice, keeping people on ventilators, things like that. It is due to the cost of the end-of-life care, you hear this discussion, it's kind of low-key, but you hear this discussion about wouldn't it be better to save several billions of dollars if we didn't do this full court press and keeping people alive. You know where that's going. There is that discussion going on. Yeah, but it will Yeah. But that discussion is going on. Now when the Holy Spirit is removed, but there is that discussion. There is that. Couldn't that money be better used for helping children? Couldn't that money be better used for other things? There is that discussion going on. But the point is, people spend a lot of money to try to put off the inevitable. Try to put off the inevitable. Life is precious. And folks who want to hang on to it, this physical life as long as they can, and there are some that will spend and spend and spend to do so. Because it's difficult to let a family member go. It's difficult. Very difficult. We were in that situation. It's a very difficult decision. Who is the only hope we have in end of life? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's our hope. He's our only hope. Jesus Christ came, took upon him the form of a servant in order to die for all. So there's our hope. These people, a lot of people don't have this hope. That's why they 
try to hang on. That's why they try to hang on. And I'm not saying anything against that, because I know it's difficult. But I, the point is, is that people will spend their, their entire fortune to maintain this life. That's how valuable it is. But no amount of money will save you from that day. Proverbs 11.4, it says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So there's, again, we, we know the Bible. We know what the Bible says. Is death the end of it all? No. We know what's, we know what's coming later, don't we? No amount of money is going to deliver someone from the wrath of God. Proverbs 10.2, Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. Maybe that's why people are hanging on. Because maybe they know, deep down inside. They're not ready for what's happening on the other side. Job 36.18 says, Because there is wrath, Beware, at least he take thee away with his stroke, that a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. Money is not going to deliver you from the wrath of God. Money is not going to deliver anybody from the wrath of God. So that's a limitation of money. Proverbs 49.2 both low and high, rich and poor together, my mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline my ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. So you can't pay your way out of God's wrath. God's already done that. God's already paid your way out of wrath. 1 Peter 1.18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spots. He's already paid your way out of the wrath of God. He's already paid that price. Sadly, so many people reject God paying that price for them, thinking that they're going to be able to buy their way out of it. I worked for a man who gave lots and lots and lots of money for charities and, and good works. But he never received Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Why? Because this is what he said. Because I believe that I've earned my own way. It don't work that way. It don't work that way. Something else about um, limitations. <laughs> um, money is temporary. It only lasts for a little while. Proverbs 23, 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Anybody in here pay bills for the house? <laughs> you know that's true, don't you? 
I mean, it seems like a week or two weeks pay goes pretty quick when you're writing those checks. Proverbs 27, 24, for riches are not forever and doth the crown endure to every generation? No, they don't. No, they don't. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, not Exodus, the writer of Ecclesiastes says uh, there in, in chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, he says, There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. Those who believe that their wealth is forever are delusional. It's a, I believe it's a form of madness to believe that. Exodus 2.18 says, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. How often have we read stories of these rich people leaving their wealth to their kids, and then their kids spending all of that money up for a good time. And then there goes all of mom and dad's hard work and labor down the drain. Because you got kids who don't appreciate it. And they just spin, spin, spin. How many times have you read about somebody who's won a lottery and then two years later have to claim bankruptcy? How does that happen? How does that happen? There's a guy up here in northern Missouri. He won like, back in the day, he won like $7 million. And in a year's time, he had to, he had to file for bankruptcy. How did he go through $7 million in a year? It's limited. It's limited. Something else, money cannot be trusted. You can't trust your money. Proverbs 11.28 says, He that trusts in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. You can't put your trust in money. You just can't. You can't put your trust in money. It's here today, gone tomorrow. If any of you are like me, and you, you know, you're retired, and... Um, you know, you, you've got money invested in, in places. <laughs> these, these, this last year hasn't been a very good uh, year for investments. Just You can't trust in it. You just can't. There's always changing factors in life. There's always things working back and forth, things always going for and going against. So you, you can't trust your, can't your trust in that stuff. There's limitations, limitations on your money. You can only trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's really the only sure thing we've got going for us in this life. Amen? Okay, let's go ahead and close out in prayer. And uh, Matthew, would you mind closing out in prayer for us today?